Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms, specifically Psalm 116. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 19 of Psalm 116, as we have come now again to our morning sermon series uh, through the Heidelberg Catechism. We are beginning this morning to look at the concept of prayer, of what prayer is, why we should pray, how we should pray, what we should pray, beginning especially uh, later this morning and especially next week to consider the different petitions of the Lord's Prayer. But we can turn to Psalm 116 to see an example from the Old Testament of someone who is responding to God's grace in gratitude, even as we are to do in prayer this morning. And so Psalm 116, and starting in verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us and let us go to him and ask for his aid in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for not just Psalm 116, but for all of your word, for the fact that it shows us that we can come to you in prayer. We ask, Lord, that you'll be with us, that you'll give us the Holy Spirit this morning to illumine us, to understand your scriptures, to see... uh, why we are to pray and how we are to pray and for what we are to pray. And we thank you, Lord, that we can pray in the name of our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as a note, you can also open in your Forms and Prayers book, that Thin Forms and Prayers book, to page 252, as we'll be looking at these questions and answers from the Heidelberg Catechism here in just a moment. But as we consider Psalm 116, as we heard those few verses from the end, that second half of this psalm, we can ask, what exactly is it that's going on here? What exactly is it that's happening in Psalm 116? Well, it seems that this is a psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm where the psalmist, we don't know who he was, but the psalmist had gone through something quite dramatic and quite traumatic. It seems that it was a health-related thing that this man, whoever it might be, was basically on his deathbed at one point. He was suffering, he was thinking this is going to be it, it was going to be the end, and he was praying to God for grace, praying to God that he would show him mercy in a situation. And we don't have all the details, as is often the case in the Psalms, but we know that he was close to death, and God heard him. God rescued him. He redeemed him. He placed his healing hand upon him. He gave him what he had asked for. He gave him what he needed. And so at this point, as we come to verse 12, as we started to read in our passage, he has come to the temple now. He has come and gathered with God's people, and he is performing his vow. He is letting the people know what God has done for him, and he's doing what he has promised to do for God in the first place. We see here perhaps a good indication from the Old Testament of the fact that this man was shown grace. He was shown mercy. He was shown divine favor that he did not deserve in his situation. He was given great mercy even though on his own he deserved death. And as a result, he recognized who God was. He recognized what God had done for him. And he came in order to show gratitude to his Lord. Notice what we see in verse 13 of Psalm 116. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That idea of lifting up the cup of salvation, really, he's bringing a cup to God, asking that God himself would fill it. 
that that is our position even as we come to God in prayer, that we are lifting up a cup to him and asking for him to fill it because there's nothing we can give to him that he does not already possess. There's nothing we can give to him that he does need uh, from us, that he is a self-sufficient one. And so we receive before we respond. And so we'll see, uh, answer three questions, God willing, this morning, each of them in turn. First, why pray? Secondly, pray how? And finally, pray for what? Why pray, pray how, and pray for what? Beginning, of course, with why pray. We can turn now in our Forms and Prayers book to page 252 as we are on Lord's Day 45 and see question and answer 116, and I will read this for us. Question 116, why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. And so why pray? Well, we see a number of reasons here, but as we consider this idea of prayer, we recognize, of course, immediately that in any congregation this size, there are going to be different questions asked, going to be different struggles being had by each and every single individual. But I can say that I can be fairly confident that almost each and every single one of us struggles with prayer. Now, I haven't talked to each and every single one of you. I haven't done some sort of scientific survey about this. But I know from my own experience and from the conversations I've had with Christians down through the years that this is a particular struggle that we face. Why do we pray? How can we pray? What is prayer meant to do? What are we supposed to do and think about as we're coming to God in prayer? All these sorts of questions come to us. And so the first thing that we have to consider as we have this uh, idea of prayer coming before us is that we shouldn't be modern people. Now that might sound somewhat odd to your ears. How could it be anything other than modern people? We live in the modern world. What I mean by modern people is uh, a number of things. First of all, it's the idea of being a materialist of some sort. And I don't just mean in this sense the idea of trying to get all the good things and the toys and the money that we can get. I mean this idea of this, uh, of this uh, thought that's in our heads, in our culture, that the physical is far more important than the spiritual. In fact, the spiritual may not even be real in the first place. And of course, as we gather together, as we hear our God's call to worship, we have an understanding that this is not true. That this is not the way things are. That it's not just the physical and nothing, or the physical on so much of a higher plane than the spiritual. But I think sometimes it's almost as if we're fish that don't even know we're wet. That we are so surrounded by this idea in our culture, in our society, that we don't even realize that we're beginning to take it in, to begin to think in this way, and to begin to act in this way. And of course, when we are thinking in this way, we're acting in this way, if we're thinking that the spiritual is less important or perhaps even less real than the physical, then prayer is going to take a hit. Because why do something? Why pray to someone you cannot see? Why pray to a God that you cannot see and touch when you have all these things in front of you that you can do with your own hands. And beyond being materialists as moderns, we're also individualists, aren't we? Particularly as Westerners, particularly as Americans, we're trained from a very early age that we are to do things on our own, that we're going to be what we want to be, that the greatest thing we can do is to be authentic to ourselves. And we're trained to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps as if that were possible. And now in some sense, that's a good thing. In some sense, there are uh, areas in life where that's a helpful thing. But I think we've taken it too far at times. We've become so convinced that we have everything we need within ourselves that we have less of a sense of coming to God to ask for the things that we need in the first place. 
And so we're materialists, we're individualists, and perhaps most practically, we're busy. We know that we're busy, especially during this time as we come to the end of a school semester, as we see things coming off the end of a holiday weekend and a busy time in the life of this church. We recognize, don't we, that it seems like each and every single day we get up and we get on the treadmill and we don't get off until we fall into bed at night and then we get up the next morning and start the whole thing over again. And so how can we pray? How can we have time? How can we find the time to pray? Well, it seems as if there are many uh, reasons not to pray for us in this world. But what Scripture comes to tell us, what the Heidelberg Catechism comes to tell us, as it summarizes Scripture, is no, this is not how to think of these things. As we consider why pray, we see, first of all, it's the chief part of thankfulness that we, receive, that we have received grace from God and we respond to him in our gratitude. It's the primary thing we do as a thankful, as a grateful people. And really this word thankfulness perhaps is a good summary of what the Christian life is in its entirety. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be someone who was guilty, even as all mankind is guilty before God. It means to be someone who, if left to ourselves, would deserve nothing but condemnation and wrath from God on the last day at the last judgment. It means to be someone who was loved by God before the foundation of the world, who was rescued and redeemed by Jesus Christ, God the Son, come in the flesh, living and dying a horrible death and rising again for us, ascending to heaven and interceding for us, one day coming again for us and glorifying us. It means to have the Holy Spirit, the same power behind the resurrection of Christ from the dead, given to us, making us new and enabling us to live a life of gratitude. And so thankfulness really is the only one word description of the Christian life that really gets at everything that we have to do. We are to be a thankful people because God has given us such wonderful grace, such undeserved mercy in the midst of our suffering and our guilt and our deserved condemnation. And so prayer comes to us, the chief part of thankfulness, because God wants us body and soul. He wants us heart and mouth. He wants each and every single part of us. We see that, for instance, in Psalm 116, uh, verse 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Now that might be, that last phrase might be something that we read in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. We just are so familiar with it in some ways that we just pass over. Call on the name of the Lord. Yes, we know. That's a wonderful thing to do. That's something, of course, that you're going to read in the Lord's own scriptures. We can ask, what exactly does it mean? Well, perhaps this is another description of the Christian life. Calling on the name of the Lord, calling on the name of the one who has saved you, who has redeemed you, not only who has made you and sustained you, but has made sure that you are not going to burn for all eternity. The one who has saved you for himself to save a people for his great name. We see throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament, that calling on the name of the Lord is really an example of, of the gratitude that God's people show to him. We see in Genesis 4.26, in these early chapters, as we're just getting started after the creation account and the fall into sin in Genesis 3, and of course we know what happens at the beginning of Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, boys and girls, you've probably heard that story. And we recognize immediately that there are two different lines, two different groups of people who are inhabiting this now fallen earth. There's the line, the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman. Those who are redeemed by God, who have been uh, calling upon his name or have been claimed by him, and those who are opposed to God and opposed to those who have been claimed by him. 
In Genesis 4.26, we read, At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's that same phrase that's used there. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to respond to him, to call on him, to throw themselves on his mercy and grace, to recognize that they themselves were God's people, that he had a claim upon their lives, and that they were to respond in kind. And so we can begin to see from Scripture that believers ought to be a thankful people. Believers ought to be a grateful people, and therefore we pray. Now notice again, of course, this comes to us in the gratitude section of the catechism. And so it's not meant to guilt us or to shame us into praying. It's not meant to come to us and say, aha, you're awful, aren't you terrible? You haven't prayed to your Lord today. You haven't prayed as you ought. You haven't been sufficiently thankful and grateful. And of course, we know in this life we never will be sufficiently thankful and grateful. But what the catechism is telling us, what Psalm 116 is telling us is, look at what God has done for you. Look at how the Lord has saved you and given you grace and mercy that you did not deserve. Therefore, come to him in prayer. Therefore, come to him and give him this chief part of thankfulness. But we see another reason why we should pray, because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask who earnestly desire them and seek them from him. God has promised us these things. We know that all who are in Christ have been promised grace and the Holy Spirit. We could spend the entire rest of our time this morning just listing and reading Bible passages that make these promises to us. But he's also commanded us to ask for them. We read in Luke 11, 13, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And we are to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. We are to ask him for his grace and mercy. And we are to know that he is going to give it to us. Boys and girls, you know, if you go to your parents and on a hot day as we're about to get here in Phoenix and ask them for a drink of water, they're going to give it to you. Because they love you. They recognize that it's what you need. They recognize that it's something that is necessary for you to live. And as much as your mother and your father love you, as much as they are caring for you and providing for you and protecting you, the Heavenly Father of all believers is even more loving, even more providing, even more of a sustainer. He's someone who knows what we need before we ask. He knows what we need even when we don't ask. And he is, of course, going to give his Holy Spirit to us. He's going to give his grace and mercy to us as we come to him and ask, as we Come to him in prayer and ask for the things that he has promised to us in his word and in his sacraments. He is going to respond to us. And so why pray? Well, because God ordains the ends, the things that he's going to do, and also the means that are going to get those ends to us. He has ordained that we will have the grace that he has given to us in Christ, that we will have the Holy Spirit, but he's also ordained that we will ask for them, and therefore he will give them to us. And so why pray? Well, because it's the chief part of thankfulness and because it's the only way God has promised to give the grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask. So that's our first question. Our second question, uh, coming from question 117 in the Heidelberg Catechism, is pray how? If this is why we are to pray, then how are are we to pray? Notice with me question 117. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart. To know other than the one true God, who has revealed himself to us in his word, 
asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. And so as we consider this pray how, we see that we are to come to God really in three different ways. First, we are cut to come in prayer to God. Now that probably seems horribly, horribly obvious to you, that we come to God in prayer and we come to him as we're coming to God. You might think, well, what is this? What exactly are you trying to get at here? Isn't this just saying the same thing in so many different ways? But notice how the catechism really considers this, that we are coming to the Lord of heaven and earth. We are coming to the one who has created and sustains all things. And we are not coming to any God, but to the one true God. We are not praying and coming to him as we imagine him, but as he actually is, as he's revealed himself to us in his word. We are coming to the God of the Bible. And so as we pray, whether it's corporately as a group on Lord's Day mornings or individually or as families or whatever it might be during the week, we are coming to the God who has revealed himself. Not the God that we want to exist, not the God that we have made up for ourselves, but to the God who actually is. To put it perhaps in more modern ideas, we are not coming to the universe. As it seems to be more and more popular to talk about asking the universe for different things, that's not what we are doing. We are coming to the one who created the universe. In the Heidelberg Catechism, in those days, they were surrounded by uh, a cult of saints, as we could call it, as people were coming to the saints and asking for prayers. Perhaps we don't see that as much in Phoenix, but growing up in Nebraska, I was surrounded by it in a lot of ways. And you'd see statues in the yards, and you'd hear your family and friends talking about this saint and that saint and how they've prayed to them and asked them for aid. The Catechism is telling us not to do this. It's telling us that the one who is the one above all things is the one to whom we come and to whom we pray. It's the God who reveals himself and wants us to respond. And so what we are called to do here is to respond. God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself in his power and in his love, in his might and in his mercy. And he's calling us to come to him in response, even as the psalmist did in Psalm 116. So pray how? Well, we pray to God. That's the foundation for all the other things. But beyond just praying to God, we also pray as sinners and creatures. We not only recognize who God is as we come to him, but we recognize who we are as we are coming to him at the time. We come to him as sinners and creatures, as those who are unworthy in ourselves, as sinners. We all recognize it. We've already heard it this morning. We've heard God's law. We've heard the Ten Commandments. And we know even just in a short reading of that, that we come to God in prayer as sinners. That we come to him as those who deserve his condemnation, as those who deserve his wrath being poured out upon us. And so we are to humble ourselves as we come to him. But beyond even just as sinners, we come to him as creatures. Now imagine with me if Adam and Eve had never sinned. Boys and girls, you know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and how they sinned and how that sin brought wrath and condemnation to the world and everything changed at that point. Imagine if they say no to this, if they uh, withstand the temptation and they continue on. The question is, would they still need to pray? 
Yes. Because they're creatures, just as we are. Even sinless creatures, even perfected creatures, are still weak and needy compared to the one who has created all things. And so we come to God knowing that we are not coming to him, bringing him something, but we are coming to him to receive from him. We come to him as creatures, as sinners, as those who are weak and needy. And so God is calling us to come to him in this way, to come to him as needy people. To come to him as those who are humbled, recognizing who we ourselves are in ourselves. Asking him, us to come to him and to confess our sins. To ask for the things that we need in this life, in this world. To be dependent on him and to be sincere in asking him for these things. So we come to, how do we pray? We pray to God and we come to him as sinners and creatures But we cannot forget the last thing that the Catechism tells us. We cannot forget the last thing that we find all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament as it becomes more clear. We come to him, to God, as sinners and creatures in Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that. We come in Jesus Christ. That is how we come to our God. God is calling us not to ignore our sin and our creatureliness. Not to ignore our transgressions and our limitations But equally so, we should not ignore our Savior. That all those who are in Christ can come to God in the name of Jesus. Can come to him and know that we have an audience with him. Despite our creaturely limitations. Despite our horrible sinfulness. Despite the fact that we, if left to ourselves, would never reach for him in the first place. That we only pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We do not ignore our Savior because our prayers need a mediator too. Just as we do. I'm sure if any of us were to really sit down and think about it, we would recognize immediately that just as we ourselves are not perfect, that we are still corrupted by sin, that we are still having the remains of sin clinging to us, that our prayers are not perfect either. Speaking for myself, I know I'm far too often unmotivated in prayer. I'm far too often coming to God as if I can bring him something. I'm far too often coming to God as if I'm pretty good and he's pretty good and let's just have a wonderful relationship together. Not recognizing my sin, not recognizing my needs, not even recognizing who he is as the Lord of heaven and earth. I know that if my, saint, or my prayers were able to come to God on their own merits, on their own power, they would just hit a wall and bounce back. but I also know that my prayers are in Jesus Christ. That I have that wonderful comfort, that wonderful assurance, as all who are trusting in Christ do, that we can pray in Jesus' name. Now, boys and girls, perhaps you've wondered, why do we say in Jesus' name or in Christ's name before we say the amen at the end of our prayers? These are not magic words. They're not some sort of spell that we're going to cast that's going to make God hear us. They're not something, anything along those lines, but it's really more what we do than what we say. The important thing is that we are coming to God in Jesus Christ, knowing that he will only hear us in the name of our Savior, that we can only come to him through the only way that's been made for us, through the the torn curtain in the temple, that we are coming to him in true faith. As we read in Hebrews chapter 10, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is how we are to pray. 
This is how we are to come to our God. We're going to come to him as creatures, as sinners, knowing that we are heard in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And so why pray? Because it's the chief part of our thankfulness. Because God has promised to give his Holy Spirit and grace only to those who ask for them of him. Pray how? To God as sinners and creatures in Jesus Christ. But now we can ask the final question this uh, morning from question 118. Pray for what exactly? If this is why and this is how, then what are we to pray for? Notice with me question 118. What has God commanded us to ask of him? And the answer is everything we need spiritually and physically as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. So what are we to pray for? What are we praying for as we come to him in these ways, as we know that we are to come to him in thankfulness, asking him for the things that we need? Well, the short answer is everything. Everything that we need, body and soul in this life, everything we need to sustain us. God created us. We recognize that. We see that from the very beginning of Genesis, this idea, this story of the fact that God himself made all things, that he spoke everything into existence, and clearly he has need of nothing, that he has all things that we could possibly ask for and need and want. And he sustains us throughout all of our lives, that each and every single breath we take comes to us from him, each and every single step comes to us from our Father's hand. And so how can we not ask him for all things? After all, he's not just the one who is powerful enough to do it. We know that someone who can speak everything out of nothing has all power, has all authority, is able to give us what we need, but he has also sent his son for us. He has also worked to redeem a people for his name, to save us out of our sin and our misery, to give us the redemption that we need and could not work and would not work for ourselves. So we can be confident, brothers and sisters, that he will surely hear us. That he will surely hear us as we come to him. And that's why we can come to him for everything. That nothing is too big or too small to bring to our God. We recognize, don't we, that each and every single person that we ask for things from on this earth, each and every single human has a limit. When I was younger, I could go to my parents and ask for a Hot Wheel as I'm nine years old. And I frequently did. I know it was in their, within their power to give it to me. But I could go to them and ask for a Ferrari, an actual Ferrari, as I kind of wanted to. I know that was far outside their power, far outside their ability to give to me. There is nothing like that in God. There is nothing that's beyond his ability where he says, well, that's too much for me. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to give us everything. And if you go home and ask for a Ferrari, it doesn't mean he's going to say yes. But it means that each and every single thing we need in this life for body and soul are well within his power to give to us. Well within his ability to provide for us. That we are not self-sufficient and so we come to him asking him for everything but knowing that he will hear us and he is able to give us the things that we need. You see also we ask for things spiritual and physical. And perhaps at times although we are modern people who tend to elevate the physical above the spiritual, perhaps in church settings, we can tend to do the opposite, can't we? We pray for the spiritual things. We know that's necessary for us. And we know, of course, that when disaster strikes, it's right to pray for the physical things. 
But are we as good about praying for the physical things at other times? For the smaller things. When things are going generally well, are we still praying for our food, for the air that we breathe, for the shelter over our heads, the beds that we rest on, for the families that God has given to us, all these different things. God calls us to come to him and to pray for him, to him for everything spiritually and physically. That God made us body and soul and he sustains both. Now they have different functions, they do different things, but they both come to us from God. They both come to us from our Father, and they're both sustained by him. And so we pray for things spiritual and things physical. And finally, as the catechism gets into it, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, we pray according to the prayer that Christ himself taught us. The Lord's prayers has come to be known. Our prayers should be filled with scripture. Our prayers should be guided by Scripture. Turn with me to the book of Luke, to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 11 and verses 1 through 4. A very famous passage, I'm sure, for many of us. But Luke chapter 11 and verses 1 through 4, we find one of these Gospel accounts of what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Luke 11, and starting in verse 1, we read this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now that's a pretty good request, isn't it? Sometimes you read in the Gospels the things that the disciples say, and you think, that was not it. We can say very confidently, this was it. Lord, teach us to pray is one of the greatest things you can ask. Even as John taught his disciples to pray, teach us to pray. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And we're going to get into each and every single part of that prayer as we come to the other parts of the catechism, the other Lord's days in the weeks to come. But what we see there at the beginning is something that Jesus gives us as a pattern for how we are to pray. A pattern to how we are to go to our God as sinners and creatures in his name. Of what we are to ask for and how we are to ask for it. We are to pray according to God's will. We see, for instance, in 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Even if we can't see him listening, even if we can't have an understanding of all the things that he is doing behind the scenes, we have confidence that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. What a wonderful comfort that is, brothers and sisters. And not only that, we see that we struggle still as sinful creatures, and we can ask at this point, okay, I know why to pray now, I know how to pray, and I know what to pray for. I also know myself. I also know what's going to happen this week, even this afternoon, as I spend time perhaps in prayer to God with my family or on my own. So what can I do? How can I have any confidence? We read in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we can have confidence that even as we are in our part responding to God in gratitude and thankfulness for what he has done for us, he is still at work. He is still, through Jesus Christ, mediating for us so that we can come to him in prayer. He is still, through his Holy Spirit, sustaining us and even praying alongside of us in ways that we cannot scarcely imagine. 
And so as you consider prayer, as you consider this chief part of thankfulness, consider the fact that it comes to us in grace and mercy. That we are commanded to pray by the very one who has done everything that we could possibly need for body and for soul. So why pray? Well, it's the foundation of our Christian lives. And God will give us his grace and his Holy Spirit through us. That is a promise, Christian. Pray how? We'll come to God as a sinner and as a creature, recognizing your own limitations and your own failings, and recognizing your Savior as well, coming in Jesus Christ. And pray for what? Well, everything we need, spiritually and physically. Everything that God has given us to sustain us, we come and we ask him for these things. And we call on the name of the Lord with his people down through the ages, all the way back to Genesis 4.26. This is what we are to do as the people of God. This is how we are to respond chiefly to the grace that he has shown to us when we are nothing but guilty. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us, for the many different passages that speak to us, not only of prayer itself, but of how we are to consider our relationship with you in Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that your spirit will continue to help us to understand these things, to bring them again and again to our minds as we go about our weeks and about our Christian lives. We pray, Lord, that we would be a praying people, a people who recognizes who you are, who we are, and what we have in Jesus Christ, that we would come to you in prayers, the chief part of our thankfulness, that we would come and ask you for your grace and Holy Spirit, knowing that you will answer. We ask, Lord, that our spirits uh, would be drawn to you, that we would use scripture to fill our prayers and to guide our prayers, that we would ask you for everything we need in body and soul, knowing that we can come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.